Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for your online worship experience. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17? We're continuing our series and our study on 1 Peter called Stand Firm. And today we're going to be tackling uh, an issue of submitting to government and submitting to every human institution. See, 1 Peter commands us to subject ourselves to every human institution. And I've titled this message, uh, Honor, Love, and Fear. Honor, Honor, Love, and Fear. Now, if that sounds familiar at all, I'm paying homage to the common phrase of live, laugh, and love. If you've been to Ross or any home decor store, you, you're going to see this phrase of live, laugh, and love. This is actually uh, based from a, a poem in 1904 called Success by Bessie Anderson Stanley, which begins with, He who achieves success, who has lived well, laughed often, and loved much. Now, this live, laugh, and love, it's become a pejorative to describe the basic or stereotype Gen Xer, all right, where um, their home decor is, whether it's a coffee mug or their house, it has this live, laugh, and love. In fact, there was a TikTok video made, that made fun of it. Look, let's go take a look. So we got the laugh, love, live mirrors here. We got live, love, laugh. We go in the bathroom here. We got live, laugh, love. We come out here to the rug. We got live, laugh, love. We go over here. We got live, laugh, love. We come over here. We got life, live, love, laugh. Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love. Laugh, love, live, laugh, love. Live. We got, we got, we got, we got, we got live, laugh, love. We got. Wasn't that hilarious? <laughs> well, Peter, in his letter to the Christians who were dispersed in Bithynia, in Asia, in Cappadocia, um, he summarizes what, what it means to live as exiles and sojourners. In other words, in verse 17, he, he, he uh, summarizes and he pithily um, puts together what it means to live and to stand firm in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And he says this, to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, which is the family of God, to fear God and to honor the emperor. So honor, love, and fear. So let's go ahead and turn to our text. In verse 13, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Lord, um, we thank you, Lord, 
that you wrote a book and you have revealed yourself to us through the Bible. And Lord, your word is inspired and is God-breathed and it's profitable, Lord God, for godly living. And you've equipped us, O Lord Jesus, through your word that every area of life you have shed light on and that you have revealed your will. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord, especially uh, in this area of submission and submission to the government. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So on May 18th, just a couple days ago this year, I came across this article entitled, Stunning Poll Reveals a Shocking Percentage of American Pastors Holding to Biblical Worldview. And it says, a shocking new survey from pollster uh, George Barna, the George Barna Group of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found just 37% of U.S.-based pastors hold to a biblical world view. You guys catch that? That only 37% of American pastors, evangelical pastors, have a biblical world view. So according to the information, uh, Barna concluded that American worldview inventory where they conducted over 2,000 Christians, random Christians, all over uh, the mainland here in Hawaii too, of uh, adults who are pastors. And the survey contains 54 beliefs and behavior questions that determine a biblical worldview. These categories are faith practices, human character, uh, the nature of God, creation, history, purpose, calling, salvation, God, relationship, family, and value of life, lifestyle, behavior, relationships, Bible, truth, and morals. So they had 54 of these questions, and they found out that only 37% of pastors, not even Christians, not even the, the casual churchgoer, but 37% of Christians, only 37, hold a biblical world view. I mean, talk about the church being influenced by the world and not the church influencing the world. And when I read this, I was in complete shock. I was in total disbelief when I came across uh, this statistic. And later on, as I was preparing for this message and I was studying, I came across this stunning video of a influential and a popular pretty big following on social media of this pastor in Tennessee preaching of insurrection against the government because um, he didn't get his way. Let's take a look. I'm to the place right now. If you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. You can get out. You can get out, you demon. You can get out, you baby butchering election thief. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You get pissed off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. They hate this nation. Get mad all you want to. 
I don't care if you stand. I don't care if you throw tomatoes, praise God. I'm about to throw a microphone up in his house. CNN can eat my dirty socks. You cannot be a Democrat and a Christian. You cannot. Somebody say amen. The rest of you, get out. Get out. Get out in the name of Jesus. I ain't playing your stupid games. Bunch of devils. I'm sick of it. Hey, we want to talk about the insurrection. Mm. Let me tell you something. You ain't seen the insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low-down sorry compromisers. You God-hating communist America, you'll find out what an insurrection is because we ain't playing your garbage. We ain't playing your mess. My Bible says that the church of the living God is an institution that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the Bible says that we'll take it by force. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. It's going to get worse. Wasn't that crazy? That's unreal, right? Like, and may I propose to you this morning that one of the areas where many pastors, many Christians, many people, many believers in Christ, those who profess to be Christians, one of the areas where we don't have a biblical worldview is this area of submission to the government. And so here's the main point that I want us to live out in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Would you write this down? Spiritual allegiance to Christ requires earthly submission to authority. Spiritual allegiance to Christ requires earthly submission to authority. If you are a follower of Christ... If you have pledged allegiance to Jesus, as if you have received Jesus into your life, if you have confessed of your sins, repented of your sins, and given your life to the uh, good news, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have pledged yourself to Him. According to 1 Peter 2, 13-17, being a follower of Christ requires that you and I subject ourselves, submit ourselves to every human institution, which means that we submit ourselves to the president, to the governor, our mayor, our council members. You submit yourself to the human institution of your boss, your supervisors, the CEOs of your job. You submit yourself to the human institution of the family, right, of husbands, uh, love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Don't spur them into anger. And if you are a follower of Christ, one of the areas that, of the Lordship of Jesus, remember this phrase, if Jesus is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. And one of the areas and spheres that we must submit ourselves to and subject ourselves to and fall under is this area of submitting to the government. Spiritual allegiance to Jesus requires that we have earthly submission to authority. And there's a little bit of an irony here, because if you look at the big picture, the, the verses preceding this, which we talked about last week, right, is that... Um, 
Peter, he, he, he presents to us our present condition. And what is our present condition? That we are sojourners and exiles. What does that mean? Remember we talked about it last week? It means that we're temporary residents here on earth. That our, our permanent residence is in the kingdom of God. Right? That we're just passing through. That we are um, almost uh, like refugees. That we're just visiting a place. We're temporarily staying there. But ultimately, our ultimate residence and our citizenship, Philippians 2 says, is our citizenship is in heaven. And the irony is that it's like, hey, because I'm temporarily, temporarily just living here, I'm just a sojourner and an exile, I'm just going to follow God's laws. I don't need to follow the law. I don't need to follow the regulations and the laws here on earth because Jesus is king. I don't have to follow the kings here on earth. But here, remember, the kingdom of God is, is very backwards. Because you follow Jesus and he's the king and we live under the kingdom of God, we now submit ourselves and we follow the kings of this world. That we allow ourselves and with uh, pure hearts and with diligence, right, we comply and we obey and we follow the laws here that we're living in. And our primary identification is not, you know, the, in our ethnicity or in our nationality, but our primary identification and our identity is that we are blood-bought, redeemed Christ followers, that we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. And if we are followers of Christ, that means that we submit ourselves to earthly authority. Here's our first point of action. Number one, would you write this down? Make Jesus the motive for submission. Make Jesus the motive for submission. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake, the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those to do good. It is for the sake of Jesus. It is for the sake of our Lord. It is for the sake of Christ that we as Christians submit to every human institution. And motive is very important in the Christian life. For the Christ follower, the ends does not justify the means. For the follower of Christ, motive means everything. If there's one thing we can learn from 1 Corinthians 13 is that wrong motives, it ruins right actions. If your motives are wrong, your actions will be declined. Your actions will be null and void. What does, what does Paul say? He says, hey, you could give all your money to the poor, but if you don't have love, you'll gain nothing. You can give your body to be burned as a martyr for Jesus. You, you're willing to give your life and die for Jesus. But if you don't have love, you profit nothing. He says you could have the tongues and the wisdom and the knowledge of angels. But if you don't have love, you gain nothing. You're just a loud clanging symbol. In other words, your motive matters. And the reason and the motive and the heart why we follow Jesus and 
the, the motive why we submit ourselves is because we do it for the sake of Christ. Because this very Jesus whom we worship and who we love, he himself submitted himself to the Father. When he cried out in Gethsemane, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. When he pleaded with the Father, Father, if, if at all possible, let this cup, let it pass from me. But he, instead of um, insisting on his rights and his privileges, he submitted himself, he subjected himself to the Father. Now, submission is part of the household codes commonly found in the New Testament. In other words, uh, in the New Testament, there is a way in which um, submission plays a key role between husbands and wives, between slaves and masters, or if we contextualize that, between a worker and his supervisors. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, Titus chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the way that we conduct ourselves and honor ourselves as the people of God is through submission and being subject to one another. Now, submission to governmental authority is not an isolated one-time event in the Bible. It is a prominent and important aspect of living a Christian life. Let's see what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Did you guys catch that? There is no authority. There has been no authority that's been established which God did not institute. God in His sovereign will, just as the heavens are high above the earth, so His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Every government, every um, appointed leader has been instituted, has sovereignly been appointed by God. God allowed. If God did not allow it, they would not be there. And because God instituted it and God sovereignty, uh, sovereignly allowed it, Romans says, Paul says, hey, submit yourselves to every governing authority. Let every person be subject and submit themselves to every governing authority. Look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So it's not just something that's a one-time event that happened in Peter. It's something that Paul telling his pastoral epistles, telling Titus, this is how you're to lead churches. You, you tell everyone to be subject and to submit to authority in the government. It's important for us to recall that submission is a form of abstaining from fleshly desires. Remember last week, abstain as sojourners and exiles, abstain or keep at a distance from your fleshly desires. And he says that we are to do good that our behavior would influence those who are observing us. 
So what am I trying to get at? What I'm trying to say here is that submission includes abstaining from fleshly desires, meaning we submit to government when we are inconvenienced. We submit to the government when, we in, when it is uncomfortable for us. We submit to the government when we have perceived rights and privileges. We're to submit ourselves. Now the word submit is a compound verb in Greek, meaning there's two parts, all right? The, the word is uh, hupatasso. Hupatasso, it's from hupo meaning under, and tasso meaning to order or to place or to appoint. In other words, uh, to submit ourselves means to order oneself under or according to or given ourselves to a relationship or to live according to the governmental order. So clearly here the notion of submitting ourselves to the government is secondary to first of all obeying God and to doing His will. And in this text and in all the other reference, something that needs to be noted here is that there are no conditional clauses. In these three texts that we looked at, it doesn't say submit if the political person that you voted for won. It doesn't say um, be subject to government if they are good or if they are Christian, submit if they're ethical, submit if they do good rules, submit if they offer good and reasonable policies. It just says no. Submit yourself to every human institution. Fall under, um, order oneself under to a given relationship and to live under accordingly to the government and to the governmental order. Now, uh, of course, I want to bring a balance here and a biblical tension where submission does not mean total obedience, okay? I mean, from the Israelites to the early Christians, they had civil disobedience. What are some examples of the people of God resisting and opposing and exercising civil disobedience? Well, you could see that. For example, something that we didn't expect, like the Egyptian midwives in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, where they feared God and they didn't kill the Hebrew babies and actually allowed them to live. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, there was an edict to um, bow down and worship. It's a graven statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused and they did not bend the knee before the graven idols. Now, uh, in Acts, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, Peter and John, they were told, they were beaten, they were thrown in jail. They, they told them, hey, you cannot preach the gospel. But what did they do? They preached the gospel anyways. And they said, it is better for us to obey God rather than men. Um, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, where Moses' parents hid him. They were supposed to kill their, their male children, but Moses' parents hid him and against the king's edict. All right? So, 
you might be thinking, okay, so what does this, how does this all look like? What does this look like? Um, some of you might have objection and say, like, man, John, you don't even understand. We need to resist immoral presidents. Well, you know, um, the previous president has been accused of being xenophobic or being homophobic, that he's inciting insurrections, that he's perpetuating racism and um, hate speech. Submit yourself to every human institution. Submit yourself because every institution has been ordained and has been sovereignly allowed by God. Or on the flip side of the coin, you might be thinking, man, our, the current president right now, um, the election, the result, it was a fraud, it was a farce, it was unfair. Um, uh, you know, this president is for abortion and, you know, you could see his cognitive decline. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to submit. It's like, nope, there's no ands or buts or ifs, right? If there is no moral, like antithetical that goes against God, then our job is to submit. Remember, spiritual allegiance to Christ requires earthly submission to authority. Now, most New Testament scholars... Uh, they unanimously agree that 1 Peter was written between AD 64 and AD 65. Why does that matter? It matters because if we study the Bible, we need to understand and we need to aim for author intentionality. How did the original hearers first hear and understand 1 Peter? If it was written in AD 64, AD 65, there was a devastating fire in Rome in AD 64 and much of Rome was burned except for the estates of Nero, who was Caesar that time, and his older boyfriend, Tigillinus. So everything else was burned except Nero and Tigillinus. Now, because he is a good and shrewd politician, Nero, this emperor, he needed a scapegoat for his ill wills. And uh, what he did was he blamed the Christians. The Christians, they were already outcasts during that time. And um, according to early second century historian Tacitus, who disliked Christians himself, he recorded that Nero, he burned Christians alive as torches to light up his gardens. And Nero killed other Christians in equally severe ways, feeding them to wild animals for public entertainment. In all, Emperor Nero may have murdered and martyred thousands of Christians all throughout Rome. And Peter says what? As aliens and sojourners, abstain from fleshly desires, do good, and submit yourself to every human institution. Fall under 
if you are a follower of Christ, if you pledge allegiance to Jesus, if you have said yes to Christ, not unless it's absolutely antithetical to God and to the laws of God, we submit ourselves to unjust, unfair um, government and ordinances. Number two, would you uh, write this down as we finish this up, is fulfill the will of God by doing good. Fulfill the will of God by doing good. Let's look at verse 15. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the purpose of doing good, the purpose of living as salt in the world and light on earth here right now is that we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And what that meant back then um, for Peter's audience is that the foolishness that they viewed Christians, they viewed Christians as antisocial. They viewed Christians as atheists. Did you know that? Because the philosophers, they believed, they believed in polytheism. There are many gods. And Christians like, no, there's only one God. It's like, you don't believe in other gods. You're an atheist. Foolishness of ignorance of, ignorance of foolish people. They also believed Christians to be cannibals because Jesus said, this is my body, right? Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. They accused Jesus, uh, Jesus followers of being incestuous for statements like, I love you like a brother. I love you like a sister. Oh, that's brother so-and-so. Oh, that's sister so-and-so. So Judaism was a poor target for outright persecution, but... Uh, people blamed and uh, Christians were outcast. And for Peter, he says, hey, this is God's will for you, that you submit to every human institution and you do good. What does it mean to do good? I think obviously it means to, um, to comply. It means to follow and to obey the laws of the land and to do it wholeheartedly for the motive of um, Jesus, for the sake of Christ. But I think uh, doing good is not just a passive compliance or adherence, but it is an active obedience that glorifies God. See, uh, doing good, the way the, this word is used in Peter, it has a very public or it has a very evan evangelistic a purpose. It has a very evangelistic sense. In other words, when you do good, actively pursue God and follow Him, people see and they give glory to God. Remember last week's teaching? And so, at least, at the very least, doing good requires that we pray for our leaders. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll go ahead and close with this. It says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior. You know, I have to confess that I fall short and miss 
the mark in this area of praying for those in authority. Usually I pray for my wife, I pray for my kids, I pray for myself, I pray for you, I pray for the church, I pray, you know, when there's an um, international crisis or um, national crises, whether it's Ukraine and Russia or there's an earthquake or um, if there's riots, those are the things I pray for. But rarely is it in my radar to pray for government and for uh, governmental leaders, for kings. And we have to remember, this is Paul, he, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, if you want to lead well, if you want to shepherd a church, first of all, first of all, of utmost importance is to offer prayers and supplications and intercessions and thanksgiving for everyone, especially for those who are in authority. So how can we do good? By blessing and by praying for your governmental leaders. You know, live free. Later on it says in verse 16 and 17, live free as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use your freedom in Christ to um, disobey the laws of the land, but humbly submit yourself as unto the Lord. So pray for current leaders. You know, uh, here in Hawaii, Saturday, August 13th, that will be the primary election. And we have our general on Tuesday, November 8th. Pray that the Lord would rise up uh, godly men and women who have a heart after Him so that righteousness and and equity and goodness and justice would be um, played out in this land. You know, the, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness, that, that we would have godly and integrity, um, leaders, leaders of integrity and, and character. And so we gotta pray for that and pray not only for that, but our current, Pray for our governor, pray for our mayor, pray for our elected official, pray for our president, our vice president, and honor God with what we've been given. Honor God that we get to live in this uh, beautiful state, in this beautiful country, and we get to serve the kingdom and serve Jesus. Amen. So uh, let me go ahead and pray for us and just allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to renew our minds, to uh, refresh our affections for Jesus so that we, loving Him and delighting in Him, it would be our portion and our strength that we live out biblical truth as a people of God. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, this time, O oh Lord, where we are challenged and we are reminded and we are refreshed, Lord, to follow you. And so, Father, I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, that we would not be stubborn, that we would not be hardened heart, that we will not be fools, that we won't claim to be wise, knowing better than you, thinking that we know a better way and we'll uh, do a better thing and we'll do a, another way. But, Lord, I pray that we would humbly uh, live as your people here, God, that uh, in all things, in every circumstance, Lord, that your name would be made holy, hallowed be your name, that your kingdom would come, that your will be done. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us for Online Church. We'd love to see you today, 4 p.m. for baptism. All you Online Church fam, we'd love to see you. Support those who are getting baptized. 4 o'clock, Mauna Lua Bay. Uh, bring a beach chair, bring a potluck dish, and bring yourself and some friends. And let's support those who are getting baptized and let's celebrate. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. Take care.